Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Kylie Merritt, the founder of Ausbiz. Our goal at Ausbiz is to provide you with news and information you can use to make better investment decisions, whether it's live, on demand, in the newsletter or a podcast like the COB. We make it available at no cost to you. The bigger our audience, the more we can invest in great content. So I have a favour to ask. If you could take a minute to leave a review of the COB in the Apple Podcast app, it'll help us grow. And of course, don't forget to catch up with all the best interviews each day at ausbiz.com.au. Thanks for listening. From Barangaroo Studios, the Ausbiz COB is the key stuff you need to know about the day in business and finance. Well, hello and welcome to the COB. It is the 15th of February. I'm Nadine Blaney here with uh, my usual sidekick, David Scott. Scuddy, how's the day? It's good. It's good to be back. And uh, yeah, the markets are in a very uh, pleasant mood to go and start this trading week. And we're also joined by Annette Beecher. Hey, Annette, how was your day? Uh, pretty busy, actually. Pretty jammed in. People are coming in to talk to us, which is always good. Yeah, well, and there was lots to talk about today. Uh, Nearmap, both of you guys had the pleasure of speaking with the CEO of Nearmap in the wake of that short report. They brought forward the half yearly results. And if you say that the market has voted with its feet, well, it certainly has share price ending up by close to 18% today. <laughs> You've got to think any of those concerns were firmly put in the rearview mirror. That and the fact that uh, there was a noted short seller who was uh, that there. We know that uh, the market's been pretty savage on anything where there's shorts involved. So uh, I wonder whether a little bit of column A and column B played out there. But uh, it is interesting. The, uh, the uh, annual contract value is the preferred metric of choice at, uh, at Nearmap. And I just wonder when you get into complex uh, no ways and, and unusual ways to go and report your results and, and, and guide yourself on whether you open yourself up to a tax is what we're seeing. But as you said, the, uh, the market has spoken and uh, more that uh, recovered those losses that we saw following the release of that, uh, that short seller report from JCAP. And speaking of, I mean, it was, according to most brokers, a strong report. So the first half loss has narrowed by 50%. That ACV portfolio, which you referenced, is the metric that they like to go on, is up by 41%. Um, and says that it's uh, compliant with continuous disclosure obligations. In fact, Annette, CEO saying that it's one of the most transparent in its industry. Well, I think the fact that all the local brokers came out and gave it a double thumbs up in, with target prices either 3 or 310 shows that they're willing to look through this ACV measure. But I got the impression the CEO said he might still take another look at just being a bit more transparent on cash flows and revenues and just being a bit more consistent with um, with other companies. Yeah, yeah I, think, I, think, I mean, th th it's fair that there's criticism in the way that some of these companies do report. Yeah, and these are new age companies and uh, they're growing companies. And so traditional metrics that I uh, know you'd rely upon in the past aren't necessarily going to be useful in this circumstance. But uh, I'll go back and uh, once again, the more complex you make your business sound and I uh, you know 
that comes across as being opaque to some, then you open yourself up for these kind of attacks. If, if you are open and transparent and, uh, and use very simple uh, accounting terms to go and uh, get your message across, uh, makes it very difficult to go and do that unless there is something to go and hide. Yeah, well, and you've also got to say that there are a lot of these short uh, report companies that are domiciled offshore. That they, It's not as if they don't have any skin in the game either. It's not as if they're white as white necessarily. Okay, so that's Nearmap, the best performer on the 200. Bendigo and Adelaide Bank doing really well today, up by pretty close to 11%. It just seems as if it's yet another... Uh, another indication that things are just not going to be as bad for the banks as we thought they were going to be as we headed into this pandemic. Well, and thank goodness, too. I mean, that that is a positive for us all, Annette. I think particularly the provisioning for bad debts. I think everyone went a little overboard at the end of last year, not helped by headline economists calling for 30% falls in uh, property prices, calling for double-digit unemployment rates. It's very uh, very traditional for unemployment rates to be a sign of debt stress. Uh, as you know, the labour market sailed through uh, a lot better than what anyone expected. So that pairing back of provisioning, I think, is one of the key metrics helping um, all the financials. So, Annette, um, you brought up jobs. We may as well go there then because that's sort of the big release that's coming through this week here it's in Australia. Yeah. Oh, that's week. because you're anti-RBA minutes right now. <laughs> but um, we've got uh, CBA, for example, forecasting a gain of 50,000 jobs. Market consensus is about 33,000, just going by memory there. Um, yeah, you think CBA is a little, a little, um, little optimistic, or what? What are I, you thinking? No, I, I don't think they'll be optimistic. I mean, the the weekly payrolls, which we will get another snapshot tomorrow, has told us that this sort of holiday season is better than previous years, and so by the time you whack your seasonal factors on top of uh, employment growth, I think we're more likely to get more of a snapback. So I'd be more on the sympathetic side of plus 50 rather than plus 30. Mm -hmm. All right. And one um, hallmark, I guess, of this uh, pandemic period, this economic recovery is, of course, the retailers. Now, some of that has to do with the fact that um, we are making, you know, good traction when it comes to getting the unemployment rate down. Um, but it also has to do with stimulus and Scotty, JB Hi-Fi. Now, I know you would have read that with a little bit <laughs> of a, a cast eye on just how much of the spending can continue. Or are you changing your view a little bit considering, you know, this house housing boom that we're also experiencing? Uh, I'm not changing my view. I, I was too early on the call. Um, that's that's a granted. But uh, a lot of it has basically been uh, static over the past little bit uh, when it comes to share price performance. You've got to say in a lot of those discretionary retailer names that performed so well during the pandemic. Um, I've no doubt that the, uh, the structural trends that uh, we saw towards spending on services and experiences away from goods will reassert itself when things normalise. Mm. Uh, the question is when that's going to take place. And uh, markets can be forward looking, but uh, if you're going to have a pretty favourable environment for a year or two more, uh, there's no reason to go and ditch those shares right yet. So I'm not surprised to see they're well supported on any dips. I was a little surprised that JB Hi-Fi sort of backed away from forward guidance and, yeah, and made it sound like it's sort of accidental that they've done well during COVID. Um, I think that's probably a little bit of denial. We, we all know that when you're at home, you do stock up on your uh, goods, as you say, given you've been deprived of services. So I, I think they're a little bit disingenuous by by not giving us any forward guidance. Yeah, do you think they're under promising so that they can go and over deliver upon the uh, no, the actual it's results? It's a tried and true method that's, of that's keeping your stock price up. Like, you know, I think I think everyone I know 
brown cows can go and see what's uh, what's going on there. <laughs> and that there's likely to be some pretty strong tailwinds for the time being. So I'm not buying it in the slightest. I just think it's foxing and trying to go and I know temper expectations. So when the results come out, it's wow, we're, uh, we've exceeded and blew the lights out. Yeah, well, you know, they did say that the first few weeks of the second half are going pretty well. I mean, sales across the group in Australia up more than 17%. Mm. Good guys sales up 14%, which is, you know, huge in comparison to this time last year, pre-pandemic. It's hard to believe there ever was such a time. And don't forget, actually, retail sales are out on Friday. Yeah. Uh, because it's preliminary, I don't think it quite gets the coverage it should. But I suspect the partial data leading up to that should give us at least a 1% pop uh, on Friday. So we should get two lots of good news on the macro yeah. side. Most of the data for that preliminary reading comes through from the big retailers. Is That's that right. Yeah. yeah, but I think it's been getting more attention in the past little while. Um, but also, I'm going to use JB Hi-Fi as a case in point when it comes to dividends this reporting season. A near doubling of its interim dividend really as should have happened, but to $1.80 per share. Uh, dividends are emerging as a real theme this reporting season. I mean, we missed them while they were deferred. I mean, even Bendigo and Adelaide Bank uh, paid parsh, part of that deferred income. So 28 cents per share, four and a half cents for the deferred FY 2020 final dividend, 23 and a half cents relating to this FY 20 or half yearly result. Um, but dividends, Annette, is something that you also have been doing some thinking about and what it could mean for the economy and the economic recovery going forward. Well, I just sort of paid attention to it, given that this is my first reporting season on this side of the desk. I just noticed that dividends were a key part of the announcement. And then when you were looking at share price outperformance, usually it was tied to a surprise on the dividend front. And conversely, no surprise on the dividend front. You ended up with a soggy, uh, soggy stock price on the day. But with the macro hat, hat firmly on, we've been talking about how much, how much savings are sitting in CBA accounts, like JobKeeper's held us up. But no one's talking about that income flow supporting the retiree end of the market because of all the fiscal stimulus we've been talking about. None of that has gone to the retiree end of the market. So it's almost time for that cohort to have a bit of a boost and it's coming through companies paying them out. Are I think they, it's welcome do, news. Do you reckon it's enough to offset the hit to uh, no turn deposits and no declining rates there and the income loss uh. there? No, it's it's something when you've been living on off nothing for quite some time. It's the first, especially the big banks. I mean, what mm. retiree fund isn't heavily skewed towards the big banks looking for dividends? We know that they were under regulatory scrutiny not to pay out too much. They had to build up their capital buffers. We understand that. But the fact that, um, yes, the retiree sector will have money to spend because let's face it, they'll just open their bank account and go, I've got $500. Let's go. Let's go and spend. I think it's been underestimated that this that this sector will spend too. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it goes, and also keeping in mind that I suppose some retirees don't have a lot of exposure to dividend payouts. You know, depending on what uh, spectrum of the uh, the socioeconomic uh, spectrum that they're on. Anyway, so that's one that's live. If you'd like Annette's full view, though. You can read it in the COB, the newsletter version of the COB. We've sort of talked about it a couple of times on the podcast. Um, but listen, reporting season, it is the theme, right? So if you would like to get five picks with an ESG bent for the earnings season, you can listen to our interview with Mike Murray, head of Australian equities at Australian Ethical. You can access that via the show notes. 
I should have said when we were talking near map, you can listen to that interview yourself with Rob Newman. Go ahead, make your own judgment. And you can hear Marnie Baker from Bendigo and Adelaide Bank, the CEO there, talking about the outlook. We spoke with her late in the session. Um, yeah, so that's accessible by the show notes as well. Reporting season with GPT, uh, GPD, I think actually did quite well today. It is a real estate investment trust, if you're not familiar. It was the stock of the day. And uh, Kashi sat down with Nathan Samasandram from Deep Data Analytics and Gaurav Sodhi from Intelligent Investor. Here's what they had to say. Reality is this thing will take a lot longer to recover. That's why property trusts um, in this kind of recession cycles, it's a really tough sector. Right. It's probably one so or two So not just GPT. No, I think the whole sector of... struggles, right? Yeah. And they have to keep raising money. And these guys obviously done well and they're doing some buybacks and I don't know how long that lasts because there's still uncertainty about a lot of things. So I think yeah. property sector is tough. I think GPT is okay uh, for what it is. I just don't think it's going to be something that you're going to kill it over the next five years. Okay. Um, so it's not the one I would be going into. Clearly one invests in REITs for the yields and it does make some sense. Um, owning a big portfolio of high quality property should deliver a stable income which can fund stable dividends. I think that that's all perfectly fine. One cannot buy this any longer expecting a stable dividend. This is now either a turnaround or a value type business. You have to look at the assets and buy it at some sort of discount to the assets with risk in mind. GPT at this time at this price for me does not make sense. So there you go. That was the view on GPT. GPT shares did outperform the broader market up by 1.7%. One company we didn't talk a whole lot about today was Seven West Media. Would have been sort of odd if Kashi had that as a stock of the day, but Seven West had a great day, up by about 6%. And we will kick off our reporting season coverage tomorrow by speaking with James Warburton, who's CEO of Seven West Media. We'll be talking about debt. We'll be talking about advertising. We'll be talking about Google Showcase. Lots to discuss with James Warburton. I'm looking forward to that at 8.30 a.m. Now, the list is long. We'll be speaking with the CEO of Virtus Health. We'll be speaking with Domain uh, late in the session. Plenty of analysis coming throughout the day on reporting season. Um, As far as now some of the economic data, Tuesday, so that does mean that it's minutes day, Annette, so you're just, you're not interested at all in what they have to say. You just don't think we'll get more. (laughs) It's very hard when we had the, the original statement, then the speech, then the quarterly, and then the semi-annual testimony on monetary policy. There can't be anything left to disclose that wasn't disclosed uh, two weeks ago. I think I described it as being the perfect tonic for insomniacs out there. <laughs> uh, if, you need, if you need help sleeping, just read the minutes. It's always one of those ones when we cover it breaking as well, it's difficult because, yeah. you know, you actually have to read it to find anything new. Well, one thing that's a reminder, like other countries around the world, the minutes are a transcript of the discussion. Yeah. Our minutes are carefully constructed communication tools, which is very different to other minutes, say from the BOE or the Fed. And you heard the RBA um, governor get a little bit of heat from that in that parliamentary inquiry in regards to why the minutes are carefully curated. Basically. Have you heard that they're written by a different person to the, who writes the uh, the statement? Yes, that's right. Yeah, so the tone can come across as being completely different. different for the same message they're trying to go and talk about. It's, uh, it's I won't say amateur hour, but you've got to go and question, like, no, if you're, the messaging, and this is one of the things when it comes to the RBA, and I know that they improved the processes towards the end of last year, but that messaging component, 
uh, it helps to have everyone singing from the same hymn book. Yeah, well, you know, everybody speaks a little bit differently, don't they? And it comes across when you're interpreting things as well. So I'm curious. I had a, enjoyed a chat with um, Anthony Doyle. You were there from Fidelity. And he's talking about, you know, the question for the RBA now is house prices, but it will be. He doesn't think that macroprudential restrictions are that far away. What do you think, Annette? Uh, the key difference, and we have to emphasise this, the RBA does not do macroprudential tools. That is yeah. APRA. They all go to the same Council of Financial Regulators meeting, so speaking of the same hymn sheet. But it has to come from APRA, and APRA has been remarkably silent on this front. So if they're worried about financial stability, the RBA might give them a prod at this meeting but it certainly doesn't come from the RBA. And so some people get a bit misguided looking for RBA communication on macro tools. That's not where you look, you look at APRA. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they want a housing boom, as long as it's not involving uh, increasing leverage, uh, predominantly from investors. So uh, I suspect that we'll see macro approved probably later this year. I think that we saw an uptick in uh, investor finance coming through in the last set of numbers. We get another strong number again. Uh, that's going to see uh, no credit growth on the path towards uh, levels that will be concerning. And uh, if this hot market continues, they'll be in place. What happens? But, in, what happens? Just, what, just what, remember last time, it was an interest-only pop in investor loans that waved the red flag. This is noticeably absent this mm -hmm. time around. Yeah, that's the key difference. But I suspect that um, when it comes to uh, price growth and the like, you know that it's usually the investors that go and come in when you see those uh, the strongest gains in prices occur. Mm -hmm. uh, so very interesting to see what happens. We know the, uh, the apartment market has been depressed in uh, several state capital cities as well, uh, which means that to a lot of Australian housing investors, there's probably an opportunity to go for the longer term play because of course the international border, mm -hmm. including student numbers, international tourists and the like, will not be at these levels forever. Alrighty, I think that's about it for us today. We are counting down to a great day tomorrow. Guys, I'll see you tomorrow. Ciao. Bye. Yeah. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.